Welcome to the Doctors on Social Media podcast. This show is led by your host and founder of Doctors on Social Media, Dr. Donna Coriel. Her dream is to grow a space where healthcare experts can connect, grow, and live out their dreams using digital resources. We need more expert-led innovation and SomiDocs plans to continue to pioneer a virtual movement, including networking spaces, learning resources, and digital services that'll help take your voice, your brand, or your business to the next level. Hello, and welcome to another of our fabulous episodes. Uh, meet Dr. Samuel Shem. He's the author of The House of God and Man's Fourth Best Hospital. And he's also a professor of medicine and medical humanities at NYU Grossman Medical School. And across from him virtually tonight, we will have two guests. And one of them is Dr. Wendy Dean. She is a psychiatrist and the CEO and co-founder of Moral Injury of Healthcare. Welcome. And the other guest is Dr. Simon Talbot. He is a plastic and reconstructive surgeon, an associate professor of surgery at Harvard Medical School, and is the other co-founder of Moral Injury of Healthcare. So welcome to Shem and both guests. Hello, I'm so glad to have two dear friends and remarkable people on uh, the, the show. Um, we were in a writer's group, all-doctor writer's group, uh, for a while, and uh, they are two people who have really done something very difficult. They've changed the zeitgeist of medicine, and they can say it better than I, but moral injury took the place and is taking the place of um, burnout. And it's a much more uh, reasonable and accurate uh, way to look at it. And we can get into that. And our subject is really, once again, um, you know, what's what's inhuman about healthcare now? What do you, and that, that's certainly what you've been working on. And what do we do about it? So go. <laughs> Simon, take it away. <laughs> I'll start. You know, um, it, it's it's such a, an overarching question, but I and I think there are a lot of different things we can talk about. But I think the the uh, the gist of what's uh, inhuman about medicine now are all the things that have gotten between the doctor and the patient, all of the things that have gotten the way of caring for patients, and you know any. Any doctor and frankly, any patient who's listening to this is going to be able to list some of them off. But, you know, we talk about insurance. We talk about electronic health records. We talk about the finances of healthcare and the money that gets in the way of healthcare, the time that we have to take care of our patients. And, and the list goes on and on and on. But it's those things that are, that are between the physician and the patient. It's those things that um, make it increasingly difficult to take care of your patient the way that you know you need to do. Yeah. And I, and I think the other part of that is this challenge that we face when we're trained to a certain gold standard, right? We spend four years of medical school and then three to seven years beyond that learning how to take care of patients to a gold standard. 
And also being inculcated with this idea that if we can't provide that care for our patients, it's somehow maybe a personal failing on our part that we aren't able to get to that. We're not resourceful enough to get there. And then we go out and practice. And the first thing that happens is we're not able to get that care for our patients. That care gets compromised almost as soon as we walk out the door from training. And we knew that we were going to work long hours. We knew we, that, that we were going to see hard things. What we didn't know was that we were going to face so many barriers just trying to get patients the care they deserve. Mm-hmm. And um, how did you get to reframe it as a moral injury as opposed to, quote, burnout? You know, burnout was so... Um, prevalent. And I always had trouble with it too. It it made it sound like we weren't tough enough to do this, you know? So how did, how did this come about? So um, it was, it was a combination of the two of us seeing that our colleagues across the country were struggling. Even those who were at the tops of their fields were having a hard time, um, they looked like they were like they should be um, at the peak of their careers. And yet they said to us, I love my job. I love the work I do. I love taking care of patients, but it's all the other things that get in the way. And so we would, we would reply to them and say, Hey, well, that sounds like burnout. And they would say, "Mm, that's not quite true. And so we kind of, we tried to break it down to what are the, what, what is the essence of this distress that people are feeling? And really what it got to was, I can't take care of my patients. And when you look at the definition of moral injury, it's transgressing a deeply held moral belief. For physicians, that, that deeply held moral belief are the oaths that we took to take care of our patients and put them as a priority. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I mean, what did you what did you uh, yourself know about this? I mean, what was the uh, the personal yeah. uh, uh, view from you know, surgeon, you know sur- I mean, surgeons never back away from you know working long hours and doing you know real you know tough things and and and, and miracles like you know putting the hand back on an arm is is really good you know? and and you you should be incredibly proud of doing that especially if you get it on the right arm you know or the left arm <laughs> you know but yeah. so okay what's your trajectory through this what what did you and ha- and then of course how did you meet i'd love to hear yeah. that first so you know the the my trajectory was that just like many people in this situation i was uh, working very hard and i was very happy with what I was doing. Um, and all through this, I've really enjoyed taking care of patients. But I became increasingly aware of the things that were getting between me and my patients, increasingly aware of the things that were making it more difficult to take care of people. And perhaps another way to think of it is increasingly aware of the nature of medicine becoming a transaction other than a relationship. And um, as I sort of thought about that further, it bothered me even more that we were focusing so much on this concept of burnout, so much on this idea that this is something that I can fix with more resilience. This is something that yoga will help me with. This is something that lavender water will make better. And missing the point that 
all I really wanted was to come to work and feel like I was rowing in the same direction as everybody else. That my team, my faculty, my patients, my colleagues, um, my hospital administration, my insurance companies that I'm working with, um, my computer um, IT folks and companies that are making the software we use, we're all going in the same direction. And so when Wendy and I got speaking, we realized that although I'm a plastic surgeon, although she's a psychiatrist, we had been feeling the same things and it fit the, 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 the concept of moral injury fit what we were both feeling. So, you know, that was one of the sort of aha moments when we realized that we're both coming to this from very different directions and yet the concept fit for both of us. Um, and so that was sort of when we started running with this. How we met was a little bit sort of uh, interesting and, and, and non-linear, but I was doing research in upper extremity transplantation that was funded by the Department of Defense. Wendy was working for the Department of Defense um, in the funding arm. And so we had to have a good number of meetings together. And of course, it doesn't take very long as a physician before you sort of ask about, hey, where are you from? What have you done? And we, we, we sort of realized at that point that we had an awful lot in common. And so I guess that's the, the short answer for how we came to found this together. Yeah, where where did the, I was always curious when I first read the papers, um, where, it was a beautiful metaphor when you brought in war. It's like an unjust war, right? You wanna say something more about that? <laughs> so when when we wrote that paper, I had been steeped in Department of Defense funding, thinking, speaking, writing for ooh, almost seven years, eight mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. um, I had I had worked with the Department of Defense, thinking about the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and the challenges that they were that they were presenting for the folks who were coming back. Uh, I was also uh, often. I worked down the hallway from the office that was doing the neuropsych health portion of taking care of those veterans or, or those service members. And so I often got pulled into those meetings as a psychiatrist who was working in, in, um, in the army. And so I, I was kind of steeped in that, in those concepts. And I, I, started seeing the parallels very quickly between, you know, it, it, it's, it's not exactly the same for sure. Civilian physicians don't see the same horrible injuries that military physicians see. They don't, they aren't faced with the same challenges of combat, but some of the, some of the deep moral, um, questions come at them from a different perspective. Um, and so that's how, that's how I kind of came to the, to the idea of moral injury. Um, yeah. The, uh, you know, it makes me think of in a way it's not exactly similar, but uh, one of the best lines in the house of God from 1978 was at the end of the book when the African-American, when the, when the black character, excuse me, uh, Chuck, 
you know, they, they, the, the chief of resident, the chief of the service doesn't know why these they're not loving medicine. And Chuck says, uh, how can we take care of patients if nobody takes care of us? And that's kind of like what even way back then. Right. That was. But but now, uh, you know, in, in my writing, Man's Fourth Best Hospital as a sequel, I, I was writing about it now. I mean, I could not believe when I went back into medicine fresh after being out of it for probably 15 years. And I saw, like the narrator says, you know, he said it was a time when medicine could go either one of two ways, either toward more humane care or toward money and screens, computer screens, which means money and money. And I was shocked. And that that one day we said, hey, somebody's got to write about this. And I guess it's me because I'm I'm there. And um, it's just, you know, it, it, it it's very, very hard for every doctor. So, you know, what what can we do about it? I mean, do you want to say a, a few things that you've come up with with uh, how do you help with this? I would just say what I came out of uh, writing about writing the house of God, what the issue that really was at the heart of the way we felt was the, the danger of isolation. And we got, I, the characters got, you know, the, the, the pressure comes down and the characters get isolated from each other. They also get isolated, each gets isolated from his or her uh, ex- uh, authentic experience of the system itself. And you start to think, I'm crazy for this being crazy. Now, I don't know if that reverberates with any of the things that you would, you know, come to and recommend how to deal with. We'll be right back. Somidox is proud to introduce Dr. Side Ventures, a new interactive Facebook group bringing doctors from across the world into one interactive space. Some of our latest discussions include revenue models for private practices, the side hustles were growing, malpractice needed in today's world, doctor finances, how much doctor services like CPAs and lawyers charge, and more. Join us at facebook.com groups slash sideventures. Well, and there's a, there's a number of different ways to look at what we do about it. And I think thinking about it from the 30,000 foot view is probably the, the starting point. Um, I think that I think of this in two categories. I think about this in terms of the, the, the incentives in the system and the values in the system. I think from the point of view of the incentives, we need to better align the incentives of the system. And when I say that, I mean the public health system, the insurers, the hospital systems, the networks, the doctors and the patients. We need those incentives to be aligned. So there are different ways that you can align those incentives. But fundamentally, the goal should be really good care. Care for your patients and care for your doctors. And you can do that with really excellent leadership and with with people who are in charge, who, who, who know what's going on on the front lines and who feel it and who do it and who have emotional intelligence to respond to it, um, who understand the value of really good communication and two-way communication. Frontline folk talking to the leaders, leaders telling them what's happening and working together as a team. And finally, an accountability of our systems where the 
people who are making decisions need to be held accountable for the outcomes of those um, decisions and systems. And those outcomes should not be measured solely in the profit margin or the money that's generated or the RBUs that are generated. So having incentives that focus on really good care for patients and by proxy, really good care for physicians. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to go, Wendy? <laughs> yeah. So, so um, the specific thing that I would that I would suggest in that regard is, why don't we have clinician wellness on the global scorecard for every executive? Right. Just just something easy like that. Um, and we we've summarized it in the past as valuing your physicians, valuing the physician patient relationship, and building community. If we can manage those three things. And make sure that the focus for each healthcare system and each hospital asks those three questions continuously. What have you done to value your physicians? What, do you, what are you doing to value the physician-patient relationship? And what are you doing to build community between, um, not only between your physicians, but between your physicians and your other staff and between your clinical staff and your administrative staff? And then I might add one fourth one, which is, how are you working to co-produce solutions to the problems that you have? Mm-hmm. So one thing, I mean, and uh, Simon and I have talked about this quite a while. Uh, I think the worst thing that can happen at the top of a real big building in modern healthcare is to have a, a, a businessman uh, being the person in charge. And sometimes what we see is they, they co-opt they co-opt a doctor to be that uh, kind of person. How do we, I mean, how, how do we change the uh, deadliness in terms of money and all of that stuff uh, if we keep on putting uh, hospitals, you know, run by non-doctors? It's a, it's a really hard question to answer in a, in a succinct way or with a simple solution. But I think asking ourselves as a as a society, do we really value money over well-being, over our own care, over the care of our clinicians, over the care of our patients? I mean, if we can't if we if we answer that question and the answer is yes, we value money, then we're doing everything just right right now. If if we if we ask ourselves that question and say, why are we putting business ahead of well-being, well-being of everybody, then I think the answer becomes obvious that we're making some mistakes. Right. Well, we talked during the COVID at its fiercest about how uh, the major insurance industries were making it hands over fist because they weren't laying out for surgeries, uh, the elective surgeries, but the, the premium still kept coming in, you know, and it went like that. It's the only people who were successful during or some of the only people who were successful on the COVID. What just I can't help asking you, and I've asked you this once again, Simon, how is it different from New Zealand where you, uh, where you grew up and, and what, and your, your father was a doctor, I think, is that right? Too? Yeah. My father's a cardiologist in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, and so was my grandfather. So, I mean, it's a, it goes, it goes uh, decades back. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up in the New Zealand system until I came to the U S in my twenties the New Zealand system has a public health system where there's um, a, an acceptable standard of healthcare for everybody, and you can 
purchase private health insurance and you can get your health care through a private health provider if you choose to. Um, but basic, not even basic, you know, standard health care is available to everybody as part of your taxes. Obviously, we all know the U.S. system and that's different um, where, you know, well, we know the U.S. system. Um, there are, um, you know, pros and cons to both systems. And I, I don't think that uh, any one system immediately eliminates moral injury or eliminates burnout, however you look at it. But um, certainly there are some big advantages to having a system whereby uh, healthcare is available to everybody um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an equitable way. And you don't battle across the screen for getting paid the most and, and the insurance people don't want, you know, pay you the least. Uh, what about the VA? Maybe as we wind this up, what about the VA, Wendy? Um, in Maybe I'm naive, but in Man's Fourth Best Hospital, in the middle of the book, the fat man gives this uh, talk on the six rackets of American healthcare, colon, follow the money, right? And it took me a month to try to understand this. And I think I did to a certain extent. And then at the end, he gives his solution, which is very, very overriding and maybe not true, but he says, we've got to squeeze the money out of the machines, meaning out of the billing machine, the computer machines. What's what? How would you talk about the the VA as a better solution? That kind of model. So I'm gonna caveat this by saying I've never worked in the VA system except oh, as a resident. No. Um, I've never experienced the VA system because I haven't worn a uniform. Um, I will say that I have good friends who worked in the VA, and during the pandemic, they got some things really right. Uh-huh. What they were able to do was they were able, because the system is one integrated system, network system, they were able to very easily share equipment, to share staff, to move, to move resources where they needed to be according to the hotspots. Well, correct. I mean, their, their data flows, uh, you know, their data is shared even before the pandemic, but when the crisis hit, they were able to adapt to the crisis according to where the hotspots were um, because they were one integrated system. So they didn't have to, they didn't have to come up with any agreements, um, which our civilian systems had to do. And they were huge barriers to the hospitals in New York being able to share resources freely. Um, so there are some things that they get really right. There are other challenges that I think if you talk to veterans, they might, they might voice um, that, you know, sometimes the, the care isn't as timely as they would like, or isn't as efficient as they would like. But they, um, yeah, they, they don't spend the amount of time in front of screens as for-profit hospitals, academic hospitals do, do they? I, you know, I can't speak to the details of that, but they do have an electronic health system. And so they are putting records, they are putting, um, they are putting all their data into, yeah. in EMR. And the, the big, the big difference in my uh, understanding of it is that unlike the for-profit system where you're always battling for payments, there, for instance, for uh, sewing a hand back on an arm, you know, there's one price that goes out all over the country. You don't dicker 
for you know twice the the price because you're at a Harvard system. Isn't that isn't that right? That 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 goes away. All that stuff that goes. Well, so you do have you do have kind of um, more standard payment. That doesn't mean that the productivity expectations go away. That doesn't mean that um, all of those data, the the patient satisfaction data goes away. Um, You may not have prior authorization to the degree that private, uh, that civilian medicine does, but um, all of those, all of those same challenges are creeping into the VA system, just like they're creeping into the military healthcare system. Right. Okay, any last words, Simon? Let me say one other thing, which is, you know, we've spoken to a lot of people around the world about moral injury, and I think almost every system we've spoke, every system we've seen or have people speak to us about has its iteration of moral injury because there's always somebody trying to save money somewhere along the line and trying to skimp on on the other end of the line. And you might be saving it for for your health insurance or you might be saving it for your government system or you might be saving it for your private practice guy. So it comes back down to the values. It comes back down to people doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do, not because there's a monetary incentive or a productivity incentive or whatever it might be. So again, I think that your system, a system change is important, but it's not, the, it's not the only thing because everyone can game a system. So having people do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, not yeah. because the system tells them to do it, is the, is the key part of it. And we, we, so we need moral leaders is what we need exactly good people making good decisions with good staff making the same ethical moral decisions underneath them and i came across a quote from uh, tolstoy recently which seemed of course he's always right about these things he's (laughs) my idol in a way and he said way back then he said uh money is the new slavery yeah and i think that really speaks to us right now Anyway, it's it's wonderful to see you again, Simon. You know, you live up near where I do. We got to get together again soon. You know, I uh, I got my vaccine in me, so I'm okay. <laughs> me too. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we, I look forward to seeing you too, Wendy. Same. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Doctors on Social Media podcast. If you love the content, please check out the website somedocs.com, or you can follow social media. The handle is at SomiDocs. For any inquiries, head to the contact section of the website or direct message any of the SomiDocs social media channels. SomiDocs offers services including member portals, covering writing, coaching, podcasting, speaking, events, building. There's so much to see on the website. Courses include SomiDocs University, teaching a variety of topics to further your career beyond clinical practice. I would also like to mention our Build a Podcast service. Do you want to build a podcast? Reach out and connect with us. You can have your very own podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will see you on the next episode.